0: I was thinking about this and um, I was thinking about the first time I heard the word vegetarian and I was aged uh, I was born in 1963 so I'm 60 now and in 1966 or 1968, uh, our family paid a visit to my great-aunt. And I learned two words that day. One was bungalow, because she lived in a bungalow. And secondly, vegetarian, because she was vegetarian. I remember my mother distinctly explaining to us what that meant. Um, And it turns out, actually, that my great-aunt and her five sisters, including my grandmother, who were all born in about the 1880s, 1890s, uh, they are a family of vegetarians, they were all raised vegetarian from birth. Uh, there were also quite a few in part of the suffragette movement. And so, and indeed, my grandmother went on to be an MI5 spy. So uh, my father was born vegetarian, spent the first 10 years of his life uh, as vegetarian um, before his parents divorced and then he started eating meat. Uh, and... Um, I got, that's my earliest memories of vegetarian. We were brought up in the Mediterranean, so we had what you would call a Mediterranean diet. But, you know, my mum and dad had good, good, healthy, uh, sustainable plant-based options as a matter of course. Um, but it wasn't until I was 17 uh, in 1980 uh, that I went vegetarian. And it was a spur of the moment. Um, a part of my, my brothers had come to visit. I uh, was still at college at the time and, uh, my mum had offered him some sandwiches or something like, you know, hospitality he says, oh no thanks, I'm a vegetarian and she goes, oh right, eh? how interesting why's that, he says, oh it makes me less violent and um, that struck me you know, straight away, I said, oh yeah, right uh, the guy also had to play guitar like Andy Gill at the gang force, so like, that to me was really progressive and that's my favourite guitarist actually at the time. So you know, it's really like always with The vegetarian being quite rebellious, quite, uh, quite, quite kind of um, I don't know, quite evolved, quite cutting edge, very cool. And so that was my introduction to it. And then all the way through the next few years, I was what you call pretty much plant based. Um, so I was eating a lot of whole food plant based, and I was I was always the one who, you know, if we'd been up on a like, night Saturday, made sure before we all went home on Sunday that we all had a good meal and at least looked, you know, half the part to, to get back and then off to college again and such like. So um, all the way through the 80s, I looked after myself. But it was in 1984 uh, in Leeds, Chapeltown, and that was during the miners' trade. And, um, by that time, I was a uh, sort of fully paid-up member of the Peace Convoy I've been travelling all over the UK, having free festivals and living right out there, a very anarchistic life, very out there and a fabulous experience. Of course, this is the time of Margaret Thatcher and police brutality was really evident. Uh, It was a time of really radical time. Anyone who goes back to that time will know that. and it was during that time after we'd actually all been arrested at this rock festival um, in, uh, in, in, in on the bank holiday of, uh, of August 20, uh, to, uh 1984, uh, at Nostal Priory. And uh, so the mining strike, you know, we had the SVG, we had the Met, a whole lot descended on us, took us out, put us in the prisons in the bridewell and what have you. And I uh, came out, I bumped into all these anarchists in Leeds, like cutting edge anarchists, and they were all like uh, animal rights activists. And I said, like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. And we obviously had to sort of shared values of hating Margaret Thatcher and the police and such like. <laughs> and, uh, and there they were, like, I said, like, oh, they were vegan. And I was like, as soon as I heard the word vegan, I said, oh, wow, what's that? I said, oh, well, we don't eat animal products. I said, oh, wicked, that's, that's me. So I was sort of overnight, but um, true to say that I am a vegan pretty much as a diet. So it's a plant-based diet, really. Um, uh, and although um, uh, although there was a, there was an animal rights aspect there, that was not really prevalent in my understanding of veganism. My main my, my main motivation was health. Um, I felt that energy. You know, I was I was, I was partying a lot, and I was living off. Fruit and halva and stuff like this. I was really good energy. Um, and that was, that was the real drive. It was very really alternative, cutting edge. Nobody else I knew was vegan. Um, there was a few vegetarians on the convoy, but no vegans. And um, that that was it, really. Uh, I never looked back. Um, and the main motivation at the time from, I remember 1984 was the time of uh, Live Aid. And uh, that's the time when it came into our living rooms that. You know, the starvation and the reality of that. And, and of course, as we know now that, you know, the very little land of water that was growing crops was growing cattle fodder in Ethiopia in 1994. And and literally, the price of a pint of milk was the price of a child's life. And that's what stuck me to being vegan, um, as it was very much a human rights issue. And uh, you know, the cut out the middleman is the obvious mm. answer. Stop, stop feeding grain to cows. And I think these days they say something like eighty—is it, was 80, is it 80, 80 million or whatever tons mm. of grain fed to animals—and only four million tons of grain would actually feed starving people sort of adequately. Uh, and that that mismatch was always my original motivation, but. I think it's true to say from day one I was what you now call a holistic vegan. Mm. So for me, it just ticked all these boxes. it's like, oh my god, you know, wow, you can actually do something instead of just protest at what we haven't got. You know, we can celebrate what we have got. And cut out using animals was just such a such a such a game changer. And so from day one, it was it was just an absolute yeah, I loved it, embraced it, and. Um, that
1: was, that was how I started. Yeah, what a fascinating journey. When you, I'm really interested in that that moment in sort of 1984 when you said there's the, the, the anarchists were around you, sort of talking about veganism, and you sort of were like, oh, okay, this this is this is something I hadn't heard of. Um, and and around that period of time, you know, you mentioned like Live Aid and so on, and the the kind of aspect of um, food poverty and these kind of things. Was there mm. Was there a, a and this? Forgive the naive question, but was there that direct link being made by the people that you spoke to about you know the amount of grain being produced and so on and so forth, or, or was their kind of angle much more um, the specific lives of individual animals that that was that their concern, or was it was it kind of as holistic as you described?
0: That's an interesting question. So I was actually thinking about that because it's definitely animal rights. Um, activists uh, that um, it was part of an anarchist collective in Leeds uh, in the early 80s and um, they, they, that anarchist collective was you know, uh, advocating animal rights um, I, th- I think the difficulty was that, that, that there wasn't really an understanding of animal rights, I mean bear in mind this is, you know even Tom Reagan I don't think had even written his books but he was just, just beginning to develop that, there was just an understanding that You know, we're not eating animals. Um, but that was extended to not wearing animals. Um, and you know, things like zoos, but there was, there was always from day one, my first animal rights protest was October to October, 1980. And this is when I just gone vegetarian as a a college and I went up to London for an anti shooting, anti blood sports, anti hunting rally a high corner. And I can distinctly remember that by that time, um I hadn't, you know, wearing leather and and eating eating meat and and you know hadn't having, having addressed the dairy or it's but I wasn't eating meat or fish and wearing leather. I was I was pretty pretty strong on that. And I remember there being um, this burger ban and then all the activists were eating burgers and wearing leather. And, and I remember asking one of them, I was going, okay, how come you're eating, how come you're eating a burger and you're I, you know, it's just not an animal rights. And it was like, oh no, that's nothing to do with it. No, 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 no. We're anti shooting and anti hunting. And, and uh, that, that uh, from day one is reminding me of how confused our movement is because, you know, it's, it's only now, you know, that we're really establishing the ground rules and understanding that we have, you know, not only more than one movement in the sense that we have a plant-based movement Mm. advocating for the benefits of plant-based lifestyles. We have an animal rights, loosely called animal rights movement. Within that movement too, there's an animal protection movement, there's an animal liberation movement, uh, there's an animal welfare movement, and, and, you know, there isn't even an understanding now of animal rights in the way that I would articulate animal rights uh, being a basic birthright mm. for animals and not to be commodified. Um, and that's all animals. know, that's the basic principle of animal rights. But somehow that's got lost in the post over generations. And, and even now I hear... People of my age and and going back to those days have been AR advocates and activists still don't really get that. You know, it's a basic one birthlight. And and that, that level of education has very much got lost in the post, you know. And that said, our feedback, and we'll come to this, but our feedback, we do really good feedback forms. We get really good glimpse into. How do people define veganism? How do people mm-hmm. understand this in a mismatch of different different goals? You know, bear in mind, too, we've got movement, we've got uh, individual change, and then we've got um, system change, very different roles and different strategies. So how do, how do people make sense of this? Um, and um I think there's beginning now to emerge uh, what we call a rights-based movement that understands the principles of animal rights, um, but it's also holistic in its teaching. So, you know, uh, for example, you may well have somebody like um Paul Miller, who's a junior doctor, I've mentioned him in a magazine article. He's an animal rights advocate. He understands principles of animal rights. Um, and he refers to this in his talks and in his lectures. And when he talks to people on Facebook and such like, um, so here can talk about, I don't know, you know, say the benefits of plant-based diets for companion animals without conflating the principles of animal rights? And but we also being able to skillfully, you know, promote the use of plant-based diets and such. Mm. Uh, that clarity, I think, is beginning to emerge more and more and more. And that's one of the most progressive things of our movement at the moment is uh, especially up and coming activists, have have a better grasp, I would say, of, of the animal rights principle that underpins them, and um, they're not afraid to, to advocate for rights and say benefits of plant-based diets in in the same sentence. Um, whereas I think perhaps for the old school, it's a bit of an them sometimes. Mm. Sometimes it's like, oh, you know, it has to be like this, and everything else is is not good enough. Yeah. And it's like, Ooh. It really to be like that. Actually, it could be. You know, the important thing is to be clear and understand these principles
1: and and, and advocate for them. Yeah, uh, I'm jumping around with the chrono- chronology, but uh, it, it's it's sort of uh, the subject is here, and I think it's it's worth worth probing a little bit. I'd, I'd love to get your your opinion on this. You know, given the, the sort of you know the information age, the social media age in which we live, and that there's there is a, a million different ways now that sort of veganism plant based diets are kind of presented to people coming into the movement and and indeed people who are already there um do you, do you see that kind of one version of the the truth if you like as important or or kind of actually detrimental to to bringing more people into the movement do you think it's it's important to have a kind of multitude of uh, of viewpoints and uh, differences uh, with with overlap and, and a bit of convergence or do you think we we do actually need to be much more on the same page than perhaps we are sometimes
0: uh, well that's a really interesting question this is really uh, actually kind of something emotional I'm seeing and survive. Um, the the answer is both three, isn't it? So, so it, it, you know, when I refer back to 1980, what, what was always clear is that there's been an animal rights movement that at times has rejected veganism, and then there's been a plant-based diet movement that at times has rejected the animal rights movement. Um, the trick is, in my book, is to accept it how it is meet people where they are, embrace the fact that we have a wildly different whole to, 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 we've got all sorts of skill sets and different opinions and we're also all growing and learning. You know, this is work in progress. It's not a set in stone. Um, so it's really important to embrace that wide diversity and, and just be, you know, friendly and, and, and accommodating and understanding and tolerant and generous, kind, all of these you know, peaceful, um, uplifting, encouraging, all of these, these qualities that we, we really, you know, no benefit learning, you know, especially a goal of seeking a learning outcome, um, which is so often missing in these discussions. And people want to punish the period of time and exclude people who's not been good enough. Um, you know, uh, that's the opposite of what I want to do. I want to really embrace everybody, you know, come rain or shine. That's something I learned on the free festival movement. I mean, every free festival in the UK, the yeah, know, it's a free, free kitchen. And you didn't have to do anything to eat, to need, and be able to eat there, you know. And, and uh, that was the principle. So everybody, it was a free festival, there, you know, come rain really shine, and we shared what we had. And um, that was that was a really underlying principle. So I think with the vegan movement, there's been such a mishmash. Um, and when I think of, you know, there was a bit of a move ten years ago to really Kind of make the whole thing very much just a plant-based diet and remove the ethics and stop addressing the ethics of the animal rights position. Um, That obviously met with considerable pushback, rightly so. But at the same time, we've also seen sort of hardcore animal rights, you know, advocates reject, you know, plant-based growth and plant-based benefits as somehow not being pure enough or something like that, you know. know, uh, the trick is to embrace both. Really. You know, part of this diets are obviously really beneficial, they're really attractive, and obviously our events have been weighed into that over the last 20 years. And So there's something like, you know, veganism, you know, really focuses in attractive things. We know this is something that can help people get over the line, Um and, and so many people have gone vegan because of veganism. But at the same time, you can't just reject and make out that, oh, because you've got an animal rights position, somehow you're purist and militant, or whatever, you know, you are extreme. It's like no, it's just our understanding and principles that animals are not ours to commodify. And but that, that, you know this 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 principle extends to all animals um, wherever we can. Um, and we're in a deeply species world, we know that. We know compromises had to be made. We know there's sometimes no clear lines, you know, we know this Well, for example, with the recent, you know, we won't go down this road, but, you know, the the medicine and and, and animal testing has really been put under the spotlight this last three years. I think we've always accepted as vegans that some vegans, you know, require either life saving or perhaps pain management medicines that have been tested in animals, may do contain some trace animal ingredients. Um, I think we've always accepted that some of the foods, for example, some of that like chocolate, you know, um, isn't always made in a in a hundred percent vegan environment. There may well be uh up to a percentage, you know, once dairy contamination. Uh you know, these, these are areas I think some of us seen it, perhaps when we even eaten out and we've eaten in a place that doesn't always serve just food and food. We know there's a risk of contamination level. So there, there's always been some grey areas. Um, and that that's okay, you know, that's ongoing, but we shouldn't fall out with each other, we shouldn't diss each other. We should seek to understand, be tolerant where we can. But I think we should have two clear things. One is the principle of animal rights, underpinning my movement. And two, a really acceptance of the benefits of what I would call our plant based educators. So, the people who specialize in promoting the benefits of whole food plant based diets, for example, you know, there's no reason why these people can't do that without an understanding of animal rights principle, which many do. But likewise, there's no reason why animal rights advocates should want to, I don't know, diss, diss somebody for promoting you know, we, we can work together and we do. And that holistic understanding, and that framing of veganism, I think is essential moving forward. Um, and, you know, our feedback from shows that probably around about 60% of people would count themselves as vegan for the animals. Around about 40% of people would describe themselves as holistic vegans, which is vegan for, you know, all reasons, including plant-based options. But understanding an animal rights like principle underpins that. I think that's the key is to have that understanding. It's a pretty basic one, too. It's like, hey, can we stop bothering animals? That's it. You know, leave them out. You know, stop using them. What's also interesting, I would point to, is that amongst the vegan feedback we get, is that there's a different understanding of the goal of veganism. And for many of us, it's to end the use of animals. It's a position uh, from which our lifestyle choices come. So we're very much about, Ending the use of all animals. Um, but as, as many people who would be define veganism as ending the use of all animals, you've got an equal number. Um, defining veganism as a way, a way of life that reduces the suffering of animals. Um, so there is some conflict there in the understanding. But again, I would I I have the any of the use of animals. Well, I understand that, you know, when you look at things like perhaps, I don't know, unintentional deaths in harvesting mm. and pesticides and so, so, so um, perhaps some of the land that is, you know, used for growing crops that is then uh, no longer available for free living beings. Um, then you know, veganism isn't the perfect way of life. So although we may seek to end the use of all animals, we are in fact by nature reducing the suffering of animals. We're not actually ending the use of animals. We may be ending the use of willful commodification of animals. So it's going to be some free living beings in, 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 in a way less than, you know, the crop death argument people put out, as we see because of the height of the... Why, uh, officers generally don't chew up all these animals, but there are some. Let's be clear, it's not, you know, a perfect way of life, nor should it be, nor is it pretending to be. And therefore, both of those interpretations in many respects are correct. Um, Whilst we should advocate for the end of the use of all animals, it's okay also to recognize that this is a way of life that reduces the suffering Mm. animals. Whether that's the goal or not, that's a great point. But I'm not one that we should fall out about and reject each other. And that still goes on. It's still a a puritanical approach. Um, And for example, I have seen. Back in January, a particularly unpleasant blog ribbon about bad began. Staff and salaries. And I think it was described as a as a British British capitalist food fest. And you know, there are elements about this true. I'm I'm not debating that. But you know, first of all, began it goes all over the world and have active participants from over 200 countries, which I think is a world record at any a movement. And secondly, it empowers a lot of grassroots advocates, a lot of independent vegan businesses, again, all over the world, really benefit from the gallery. Um, and thirdly, it really makes inroads into people's ways of life. And we see this. It's, it's, We'd love people to go vegan overnight, and there's nothing wrong with advocating for individual change uh, for them. But we should also accept that a lot of people don't go vegan, in the way, right? even when you explain that the rights principles to them, they can reject that hands down and focus on uh, increasing plant-based options for other aspects. And that's okay. You know, we are, we are where we are. We are who we are. We have to meet everybody halfway with any social change and try and encourage people to engage with them and not reject them. And we'll be absolutely clear that for too long, this movement is rejecting people who are the closest to us because they're not quite vegan, because they mm. don't quite get it. You know, that, I'm glad to see, is really coming to an end. Even now, there's a few proponents of that approach who are really reconsidering that because they understand that. With climate crisis, we have to get over some things without throwing the principles of the bus. We cannot let them get in the way of social progress, and especially system change with plant-based diets. Well, plant-based food systems are essential, you know. And the truth is you don't have to be vegan to advocate for plant-based food system change. And we actually need a consensus, particularly People like local councils, you know, cross-party, but also cross-diet. Cross you know, people who are not necessarily vegan. We need to work with them as allies to, to bring through part of those food systems and prepare the ground for what would be a vegan world. And the two go hand in hand. Individual changes is at the heart of it, I would say that. But individual change is, is a real focus for a lot of us system change is a more of a specialised area. It requires different strategy, tactics, communication. It's, it's by consensus a lot more. And, you know, for system change and plant-based food systems, sometimes the vegan argument isn't the most appropriate. You know, the the, 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 the consists to, you know, invest more in a growing and inner city growing, uh isn't isn't a vegan, it's not a vegan principle. It's 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 a plant base, it's about environment, sustainable food supply, food sovereignty, health, and 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 and, and um re recreating environments for free living beings. You know, so it's, it's not about the principle of not using animals. And that is a, a backpack. Um, and, and it's just important to have these adult conversations now and recognise that, look, you know, there's some people are doing some really good work with system change. Um, and I'm going to point to one recently, you know, part-based universities, uh, and there is uh, there is a on on GB News very recently advocating for part-based universities. Now, clearly, that's system change. That's about, or institutional change, that's about universities recognising the research they've done and acting upon it. Are we asking
2: everybody to go vegan? Well, we would certainly be asking
0: people to question whether um, you know they think they they should be using animals and whether animals have a right not to be commodified and whether there's a moral discussion to be had. Um, and if the answer is well, yeah, then you know, are we then looking to align our values with our lifestyle choices? Um, but can we demand go vegan? Of course. You know, what we can do is encourage institutions to adopt more plant based options, meanwhile advocating individually by asking the question. Yes, and I would ask all students, in fact, particularly the students in this case, to consider the moral values and consider where animals have a right not to be coming to Definitely have those conversations. Can we demand a go vegan? Of course. We know that. You know, this is by uh, education, inspiration and a growth and encouragement Um, and really starts, I think, with asking
1: those questions. Asking those questions and having those kind of adult uh, conversations as you described, you know, all speak to kind of an element of like pragmatism that's required within the sort of vegan movement, if you like, to to work with others and collaborate effectively and so on to, to drive change. When I think about um, you know things like VegFest. Would you see those as kind of, um, if you like, advocating for that approach in, in, in kind of its mission? Uh,
0: we well, very, very much was to begin with. So VegFest we found 20 years ago, 2003. And VegFest was set
2: up really on the back of I think one key
0: issue, and I don't mind relating this to you because it's true and it's relevant. And, you know, in 2002, um, I, I went to the London vegan
2: festival with my dead stepson, aged 15. And, um, my partner and I were both vegan. Um, uh, our stepson, you know, he used to go to his dad, uh,
0: obviously every now and again. And, and his dad wasn't vegan. He used to have this sort of great benthos pie. Um, and that, that was sort of a concession, honestly, you know. Teenage, teenage styling, what have you. Uh, but he'd be vegan in our household. And then if he went to his dad's, yeah, he may, he may have a on his pie. That, that was, that was it. So we went to the London Vegan Festival. And that was one of the only vegan festivals that was running at the time. It was at the Conway Hall. And, and two things happened. Um, one, uh, so I so was asked whether he was vegan or not. He said, no, he's not. <laughs> he says, oh, how come if you've been vegetarian? He says, oh, well, I'm not. You know, I, I eat the old fried bento's pie. Um, and that what he was asked to eat. I said, like, oh, well, you, you, can't, you, can't, you, can't, you can't you can't eat here. And we were staggered. I couldn't believe it. Because we'd come from a free festival. We travis, you know, we were like, anybody You come to my <laughs> what's all this, you know? You know, this is bigotry, <laughs> it's discrimination. It's like, what are you all about? We were, I was really upset. And I walked away with song. And as we walked away, there was a quite, like, you know, gathering, of pretty anarchic, pretty, you know, it reminded me of the cowboy, She It wasn't that attractive, you know. It's quite of putting in the way, you know. And I, we walked away, and I remember saying, this this isn't, this is you know, we need to be you know, able to come our become vegan, you know, it's not a closed circle, and it, it was quite a closed circle, and it was quite off-putting. I remember interviewing Ronnie Lee once, and he said, oh yeah,
2: well, we didn't want people to like us. You know? And that's a
0: fundamental difference between that ALF and Privilege, which of course was doing a lot of undercover work, but dangerous work, and it you know, had some very committed, very, very aggressive, uh, quite anarchic anarcho- anarcho- people under that umbrella doing some pretty amazing rescue work and stuff but they were by nature quite like the opposite of what we wanted to do Is just hey say to people hey you know, come along have a party have some good food some good people you know there'll be some leaflets there you would be able to get an education, be able to learn how to make a I know, blackcurrant tofu cheesecake or something like that, and, and have a veggie burger and listen to some good music and kind of feel that vibe and and start unpicking some of that inner speciesism that that exists. Um, and, and that's
2: uh, it's a really important part of the principle. So, so I think it's true to say that in the early days of veg press, um. There really wasn't, I mean, we made sure everything was vegan.
0: We didn't really have, like, you know, that much discussions on animal rights and, and such, like, you know, there was more, there was a lot of campaigns, we had all the campaigns. I kind of figured, out oh, well, I'll do that. You know, my job was to get people in the first place, try not to put them off. Um, and you have to
2: remember that at the time, there wasn't, you know, like the, the public face of animal rights was shocking. I mean in nineteen ninety. Um
0: well, I'll be careful what I say here because I know that, that this this particular bombing is not attributed to the L. It was attributed to the ALM, which is the Animal Liberation year, Um and they were an offshooting. That was specifically violent. Now, w- whether that's true or not, I don't know, but I certainly wouldn't want to, uh, to upset my, my long standing ALF colleagues because I understand that when that bomb went off at Bristol University, you're like a professor, and also picked some shrapnel through a 13 month old child's bush uh, and really blackened the known value rights forever. You know, I do recognize that the media played a big part in that and that it was. You know, it was blown up, obviously, excuse the pun, but out of proportion. And, you know, I think ALF wrongly, wrongly labelled for that. But um, it was, I'll tell you, however, it, it, however it came about, it was in the name of the animal rights movement. And, and that threw back any kind of idea of vegan advocate. I mean, I was living in Bristol as a vegan advocate. I had a small child, age four. It wasn't healthy. And, um, and Bristol, you know, it's a long time to recover from that. And there's still people today. And the gentleman who was in the pressure is now mid thirties and lives a few streets I and mean, still is still scarred for life. So, so those things haven't, haven't been forgotten. It's a very difficult time to kind of. So I suppose my idea was, Hey, look, let's just throw this on its head. Um, put on some really good bands, put on a load of comedy, magic, kids area, cake, the lot, you know, not about the issues, we're just gonna have a party. And that was far more in keeping with with Bristol, which by then, of course, in the eighties, in the nineties had had the in the eighties a lot of festivals. In the nineties there's a whole Avon free party scene, which was huge and culminated in the biggest Rave ever in 1993, I think Castle Moore, and we still talk about it today. And, uh, you know, the, the whole place had gone arty mad in the mid 90s. So you know, by the time we saw it in 2003. You know, actually, that this 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 thing hit home, and, and everybody loved it, and we just got a massively positive reaction to what we would do, and it was unheard of at the time. There was just nothing like it. And I think it was really nice. Because I know now, of course, it was a lot of my friends then who were really promoting public based diets. They weren't animal rights activists, you know. People in the 70s and 80s who were not in the age, you know, who who weren't doing those those missions, but were quietly doing stalls and tabling. You know, people questioned where did vegan outreach start? Vegan outreach started pretty much in this country after the Second World War with the formation of the Vegan site in 1944. And when you look at people like Arthur Ling, I mean, Arthur went vegan 20 years before the world was invented. You know, he was he was developing biofuels in the 50s. He started a, a, a vegan factory in 1963, the year I was born. I mean, it's weird. I pick up Catherine Janaway, you know, Faye Henderson, Elsie um, Shrigley. There were some fantastic vegan advocates out there. And of course, Leslie Cross, who was, you know, perhaps... Um, one of the forerunners, really, of that animal rights position um, that was later then, explored by people like Tom Reagan in the 80s and Gary Francione in the 90s. Um, And, and, you know, when I came to animal rights, I didn't come to animal rights understanding until 2015. You know, that's how long it was before I really understood animal rights as a principle. And that's, you know, credit my good friend, colleague Roger Gates, with a lot of that and Roger Stone's fa- fabulous work, and, and still is, you know, uh, does some terrific work. He's a real animal rights advocate in the in the format of Tom Reagan. You know. it's, a, it's a Tom Reagan I think that understanding does underpin our movement, perhaps a lot more than he would think. You know, I see, I see it differently because I'm up with a lot of the younger activists, the up activists, We've registered on TikTok quite a lot. I'm not sure we get such a good... You know. <laughs> uh, but I would say very clearly that our modern-day animal rights movement is very much a rights-based movement, um, and that were especially last decade, a lot of which are rolled down very vests. We really had those debates in those conferences and those summits. I would say nowadays we have a lot more of an understanding of the rights-based movement. But it's grown into a holistic movement. That's really exciting. And I don't see any stopping that now. In fact, we're right on the cusp of some really big growth spots. I would say uh, the animal rights movement, at last, has moved out of nappies, has got out of short pants, and it's about to go to secondary school and develop into a young adult. And that's where I see it. You know, we're about to have some adolescent growth spots. that I hope by the end of this decade, Will have really impacted, and the, the adults would be back in the room for ruining this country, for example, the government will have the adults which are clearly going for that. And, and we would be heard loud and clear, first of all, on a plant-based food system shift, which is absolutely demanded. We have to get on that, make that happen. Um, but in paving the way with an underpinning animal rights, we will then have the You know, ready by the end of this decade, we'll be primed for the huge explosion of the liberation. And I do believe that by the time we hit perhaps 2060, 2050, maybe, you know, we'll have have made perhaps another, is it now 2040, I'd say another 15, 16, 17 years, we will have shifted to plant based food systems and we will have established. A new understanding as a default that we no longer view animals as commodities um, across fast swathes of the population. How,
1: how have you in the in the time that veg, since VegFest has been has been going? How have you seen things evolve in 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 the space of you know? I'm thinking of the folks who exhibit, who who sell, who who speak at. Um, an event like Vegfest. How have you seen the, that transition um, in in those kind of folks?
0: Right. In a nutshell, I mean, for the independent vegan trading, it's been absolutely blessed and It's a hard game. Uh, we are seeing it because we deal with independence, and we're just seeing go out of business. Uh, the whole shift to mainstream has been crippling for a lot of independents, and that's been going on since. Pretty much January 2018, you could define it when Wicked Kitchen launched in Tesco's within six months, every supermarket had their own range. Now, for example, last year, the, the plant pioneer range from Marks and Spencer's rose 14% in sales across the board. That's a huge shift given the, given the amount of outlets they have. We're talking volumes of plant-based options. Um, at the same time, we've seen the independence drop, you know, beyond meat, 30%, in you know, uh during the same period. So there's been a big shift towards the marketplace. And um that's obviously huge, uh, but it has dented uh the um the uh the vegan independent trader massively. So even as far back as 2019, we saw one of our first casualties was Miss Cutcake. And Miss Cutcake, if you remember, used to have a bakery in Brixton I think they opened in 2012 or 11, And at the time they were the only vegan cupcakes in town. And people literally used to cross London to go to to get their cupcakes from this cupcake. And then, you know, they crossed town to come to our show to come and get them. Now they well, even as recently, you know, even four or five years ago, they just started crossing roads in the middle of Waitrace and buying a, a less,
2: you know, an inferior product, but cheaper and
0: cupcakes. So, And in 2019, this cupcake had to hang up and close shutters, 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 and close down. And and we've seen that accelerate. And and just like this year, even when we were doing Bristol Vegan Fair this summer, um, in that three-month period, we saw five or six potential clients shutting down. And that's just heartbreaking. mean time and again, we've got big going out of business. Um, i kind of out business for an independent traders. You, know, you don't go into business unless you're really committed. And to go out is shattering. And, you know, I do uh, worry myself with the, the mental health challenges that a lot of the independent traders have to face. Um, and, of course, we're, we're doing our utmost to make sure that, you know, these shows are well attended, that the spend is good. Um, but, you know, we're up against the fiercest economic, Crisis that I can remember. And I go right the way back to the 60s and 70s. You now, I remember the three day week in 1973 you know, and the strikes and all the rest of it. You know, this, this is brutal. This is brutal. And it's,
2: you know, it's, it's, it's pretty really bad. I mean, you know, this,
0: this government. <laughs> uh, this government, the only thing different from the Thatcher government is we all hated Thatcher and we were all united against Thatcher. And, and Margaret Thatcher 40 years ago brought, uh, the underground movement together as one. Well. And we saw this, you know, going back to 1984, you know, in the miners' strike, the reception we had from the miners' community, we worked together and, and so much shared values and the main shared values, we just despised Margaret Thatcher and, uh, bash. <laughs> You know, I don't know, they've got better at their game, whoever they are, but maybe it's all that money Rishi Sina gave away during the lockdown, but you know, he doesn't have the same hatred. There doesn't
2: seem to be the same unity, uh, that, that perhaps there should be, you know. Um, so the economic crisis has, has mullered our independence. It's really hit our independence. Uh, you can say all events, all of events would be bad. And they're, they're just damning.
0: And it's only because there's some very, very determined, committed people making sure we face up to all those struggles and get these events over the line. And I absolutely credit, you know, people like Vegan have uh, the Vegan Kids Festival, uh, the Veg Out West, um, there was another one at an animal sanctuary in South Lindley, you see. Can't just quote the wild hunts. And it's the wild hunts, you know, absolute credit to these people and, and vegan events UK. There's the, the fireplace ones. There's, there's half a dozen and, and one or two more too. Really good people doing these really good events that are really under supported and under resourced and you know, battling against the odds. So that has been
2: really tough. um and even for me i'm sixty i've been doing three years ago I did my first event but uh, I've never known like this you know, mm-hmm. it's brilliant. and and even though i've I've got a lot of tools in my books my my it's 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 requiring um very, very committed
0: and, you know, it's not easy. So my empathy is with a lot of mm. people, traders and organisers and such. like. But for the campaigns, it's just different. It's a whole different story. So a lot of charities right now are quite well funded. They're quite stable. They get quite a lot of legacies, quite a lot of grants, quite a lot of donations. Now that's not true across the board. I know that, and some are really struggling. Animal centres tend to really struggle. But some of the, you know, we, and you can tell because you know the, the campaign groups are often advertising for, for new people to join them, and that's a an, that's a that's a clear sign
2: that they're they're, they're a lot more stable, a, a lot more
0: able to function ahead than your average independent trader. Um, So that's not turning for one minute, but the charities and campaigns haven't had to face some pretty challenging issues too. For example, it was only last week I spoke to the vegan-cited trade month too, that's had to downsize by something like 25%, which anybody who works in any kind of organisation will know that means a lot of extra work for some individuals So suddenly having a Really do a lot, you know, they're having a multitask in a way that perhaps their job description didn't indicate. Yeah. Time. So, uh, but what's really exciting is that what we've really seen change is there's a real collaboration going on between the grandpa and Greece. Now, now, this this has never happened before. It's always happening in bits and bobs. Um, but as my esteemed colleague Claire from Animal Justice Project, mentioned just recently, since, you know, when she started, it, it just wasn't a done thing. And people didn't collaborate. They kept on. You know, the campaign groups were still in their infancy and they were very protective about their identities and their actual campaigns. And although they've all evolved and worked, you know, a lot of them are individuals who've been past work for different animal groups within that. And for example, Tony from Veganry, who runs Veganry, used to work with animal equality. Um, and I'm sure we've been there too 20 years ago. So, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of the team members amongst the charities. We've all got that built in networking, friendship and such. But it just hasn't been a dumb thing. And until really recently, um, now we're seeing really strong collaborations. Um, and this is vital for a mass movement. And if we're going to achieve what we want to do, which is to get part of those food systems as a default by the end of the decade, and made massive inroads into animal liberation and animal rights uh, as an understanding in society, uh, by the end of the next decade, we are absolutely going to have to collaborate and work together and find ways of retaining our identities, our donor bases are important, our supporters, our volunteers, and really, really important issues, our branding, our uniqueness, and our unique positions within the movement. Um, and, and, you know, recognize that not all groups are as well funded or well resourced or big or, you know, we all look a little bit the same from the outside looking in. But when you're looking from the inside looking out, we know there's some big differences there. So, um, but we've just hosted two panels literally just last weekend, first of September, second, third. They're available to watch. You can find them on our, on our Facebook pages and such, way, right? Um, pretty recently. And this is the case in movement Unity. So we've had Animal Justice Project for Viva, that Animal Age, for Animal Think Tank, Animal Rising, We the Free, Plant-Based Treatment, Plant-Based Universities, all on panels talking about recent collaborations, talking about what's in the pipeline. Um, for example, a big collaboration has been headed up by Viva for the COP28 conference which are really working on. Um, so there's really a sense of again from the up and coming activists of, hey, let's get on this and work together. We can really amplify each other's message. Um, and that's really changed. So on the one hand to come back to your original question, what's changed over 20 years? You know, 15 years ago, like we had um, you know, this couple, Jamie and Brianna, turn up with a, with a little table. And, and three snack bars uh, to do their first show and they had this little table and three bars at Dentsy Circle you know and that that was naked naked snack bars and then five years ago they are selling a third of their company for 45 million selling to a Dutch multinational I mean this is staggering you know New Ireland who make the cheese brand turned up in 2007 you know same thing sold two years ago from a lot of money to, to, you know, a big multinational. Um, and Coco Dairy Free, they used to come to all our shows. They started with one, one tub of milk and then, you know, they've grown hugely. Um, and that's really exciting to see all that. But of course, it's the opposite now. We really are the opposite now. we are seeing independence independents struggling like never before. So that's... That's the downside. But the yeah. benefit of that is, of course, everything's gone mainstream. So I think all of us are kind of like, oh, you know, we're, we're happy, but, you know, we're, we're paying the price for it too. And that, that's, that's, look, I'll be clear, that is soul destroying to watch your business crumble in front of you. No matter what benefits there are, like Siri, it's still you as an individual you have to manage that and soul destroy. And anybody who's been through that knows that. Um, and that's not to say that there isn't, you know, but this is part of it. It's just like all this conflicting stuff. I though, I know that nearly all of us are just happy to see this growth. We know it's needed. And as some of us had to pay the price for that a little bit, you know, okay, so did it. Um, it doesn't necessarily make it any easier, mm. but it does make it valid. And, um, but, you know, what we're seeing with the campaigns are going so small, and so had to fight so hard and just see dedicated a few individuals who, you know, dragged these and made them happen. And, and, you know, I absolutely love these people. And uh, I mean, we all owe these people signing, mm. the signing, volunteer, the unknown hero. Uh, the, we owe these people so much, so much gratitude. And now we're seeing these campaigns that uh, he's two years old, gone over worked. world. It's making inroads on levels that nobody ever imagined. And, and on that, i you know, impressed kind of everybody in that treaty.
2: <coughs> um, so that's really exciting. And I think we're going to see more of that. And like, even
0: as recently as coming up in November, of our first trust in trade London, in Olympia, um, we're going to see more panels. And we've got a route map,
2: we've put a route map together for, for the next 12 months. Really.
0: Some collaborations around have six key areas, uh, including the use of animals in laboratories, um, including the animal rights march, uh, and understanding what it means, what a rights-based movement means, including top and um, including the top twenty-eight, uh, including the Gannery and all the food, Including animals used for entertainment, uh, including sh- shooting, hunting, zoos, captive animals, fishing, uh, snares, all of this, this aspect. And then there's, there's animals used for clothing. Um, so, so the, the animal movement is really beginning to collaborate, coordinate you know, around these key areas. I think what we'll see next year. It's some really good collaborations along the lines of what we've already seen to Aintree this year. Anyone paying attention you've seen really big collaboration between um, Animal Rising, who headed that up, but backed up very strongly with groups, like Viva and Animal Aid, both of whom have very strong horse campaigns in place already. Um, There was also broad support for Animal Justice Project. But then we had also the Hunt SABS, Get involved on that one and Merseyside animal rights groups as a grassroots there too. And there was a really fabulous, um, collaboration, uh, going on that lifted this whole issue right into mainstream media. And then, of course, we had something again that we hadn't seen is so we had animal rights advocates actually trained in how to present on the media. So a lot of this was right wing media, um, we had a really good search of animal advocates, mainly from Animal Rising, like Alex Lockwood and Paula mm. and such, who, who practice? they practice. you know, they practice. Ben, they practice. they practice twice a week. One of them would take the part of the, whatever, the Piers Morgan or something and start throwing, you know, stuff. And I've done all that work. I've been on the Vanessa Phelps show and such. Like, you know, it's an absolute nightmare when you get really pushy, you know, People just looking again. They don't want to listen. So you know, it's real skill, um, and not everyone has it. And of course, the, the key area in these things is not to lose cool. And um, if you keep cool uh, just keep, keep some nice little sound bites going out, keep smiling. Almost by default, you resonate you come out on top. And my advice to anybody going on the media is have a look at what Animal Rising and the you go on. <laughs> Not just go up against these people without any training, you know. Get yourself trained up. Uh, it's a real skill set.
1: Tim, it's been amazing uh, having, having you on. I really appreciate your time. Where would folks go about finding out a little bit more um, and what have you got coming up?
0: Okay, so we've got London Reading Comedy Festival September 30th, October 1st. That is specifically showcasing the... Vegan Artiste Collective, which was really grinding before lockdown, we've got absolutely pummeled during lockdown. And we're showcasing perhaps over 35 comedians and artists, musicians, performers, authors, such like. So that's great. You can come along to that and go to vegfest.co.uk and get tickets for that. London Eden Comedy Festival. And then we've got the VegFest UK London Olympia National. And that's taking place, uh, at Olympia on November 18th, 19th. Come along to that. Get involved with that. Um, and do, look, I'll be honest,
2: right? We need your support. Yes, we need your support. Our collectives need your support. Um, we've been sure to support
0: all of us. Um So let's have it because there's no guarantee they'll be there again. That's the truth. People will need to see what's in front of them and seize the moment um, and be that support your local campaign group. Particularly support your local, neutral vegan events. Um, and if you can't buy a ticket, I don't know, perhaps if you can consider a donation, it's great. Or buy somebody a ticket, you know, bring your non vegan friends along. It's a really good, we've got a really good conversion rate actually going on at our shows. Uh, really high, something like 85%, uh, 30% of our visitors are not vegan. But 85% of them are really seriously impressed enough to make some changes, which is for thousands of people at the moment. So it's a really good outreach opportunity. Uh, but particularly, please do um, consider two things. One is supporting local independent businesses. So they're probably needing more most. Um, and so if you can get active, even in a passive way, perhaps, you know, with petitions, and um, if you're not already active, see if there's some, some areas you could, uh, developed that would be, you know, help, help um, this movement. Uh, and i just end on that note. with a famous, famous quote from the, from the Roman soldier when asked his name. He said, my name is Niger
2: for we are men. That That's how we've got to be
1: so thanks Jeff love it Tim fantastic place to leave it I'll make Uh sure I put links in the show notes for everyone Um, again thank you for your time and thank you for all you're doing for the for the movement
0: thanks sir (laughs)